This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. It's a race against time. Can the FBI stop a madman before he strikes again? And then we travel to Tennessee and go way back in time to when the Cherokee Nation ruled the land. Everything was going quite well until a creature came down the mountain. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hey guys, big news. You know, the Patreon supporters, you guys have been awesome. You guys have been supporting me for a long time and I really haven't had any awards or rewards, I guess would be the right term for that. That changes Tuesday. That changes next Tuesday. I got stickers for you guys. Now, I took an entire month of my Patreon donations and turned it into stickers. I need you guys' addresses. I need Patreon supporters. I need your addresses. Now, I'm not going to reveal what these stickers look like. These stickers, though, are really, really cool. They're really, really cool. I want people to just get them in the mail. A little handwritten note by me. There you go. Thank you for your support. Now, right before I put in the order and put the announcement on Patreon about the stickers, I did have a Patreon supporter leave the show. Leave the Patreon. You know who you are. I'm not going to put you on blast. You still get a sticker. You totally still get a sticker. I sent you a message. You know how to get a hold of me. Email me. Give you your address. You missed it by a day. I'm not... You've been supporting the show for a long time. So I'm not going to keep the sticker from you. I'm not hyping these stickers up, dude. These stickers are dope. And they're an exclusive. I'm not going to sell these in the store. These are an exclusive sticker. So if you're interested in joining the Patreon, now's a good time. Actually, if if I get a bunch of people joining, I'll have more to send out. And I'll probably have to buy more. But I just wanted to give a a show of gratitude for the people who have been supporting the show. And kind of transitioning into that, I want to thank today's supporter of the show, Smashers25. Smashers25. Smashers actually does uh, some of the artwork for the show, does the Dead Rabbit Expose logo. So, Smashers, we're going to make sure that we take care of you. She's been doing stuff on the back end of the show as well, so it's very, very helpful. And Smashers, right now we're going to give you the keys to the carpenter copter. We're going to drop them in your hand. Smashers, a.k.a. Ashley. It's actually easier to call you Ashley rest of the episode. As the keys are falling into her hand, her name changes. Ding! Let's hop in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to Richlands, Virginia. So we got Ashley flying the carpenter copter. Flying over. It's June 3rd, 2020. So incredibly recent story. This just happened, you guys know how calendars work, a couple days ago. We're flying, we see the Clinch Valley Medical Center. The helicopter is landing on the roof of the hospital. We're walking through the hospital and there's this dude who just walked in as well. His name is Cole Carini, he's 23 years old, and he's like, I'm having a terrible day, guys. And the doctor's like, that's kind of a weird way to introduce yourself, and then... Cole holds up his arms, one hand is completely gone, 
And the other hand's missing a bunch of fingers, and he has shrapnel all up in his neck. And he's like, oh, uh, I can guarantee you my day is worse than anyone else's at this hospital right now. And the doctor's like, I'm not taking that bet. Now, a couple hours later, bring, 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 bring. Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, Virginia office, dude. And they're like, hello, Virginia office. Send out your best agent. Send him to the Clinch Valley Medical Center. And the guy goes, okay, that's that's what we do. Click. And then goes, you, you're our best agent. And he points to Special Agent Neil Schmick. Schmick? Neil Schmick. I don't really want to make fun of this guy or get his name wrong. He is a special agent of the FBI. This guy, when you look at his pedigree, he's fought drug cartels in Laredo, Texas. Then he went to Orange County and specialized in investigating crimes against children, homegrown terrorist extremist groups. He also has this little quote in his affidavit that he fills out later on. Quote, I have been deployed overseas for the FBI to investigate international terrorism in both the Philippines and Jordan. This guy has a pretty good record, right? Now, to be fair, I don't know if he solved any of that stuff. He may have just went over there and be like, yeah, I'm sure there's terrorists somewhere. He's drinking a Mai Tai. They're like, Neil! You're supposed to investigate this stuff. You're not supposed to go over and just tell us, that, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's drugs in Laredo, Texas. Neil, we know that. I'm going to assume he solved these cases because he seems to be pretty savvy. He goes out to the Clinch Valley Medical Center and he walks in and Cole Carini's sitting there. He's like, oh, my hands totally suck, bro. They're all messed up. And, and Special Agent Neil sits down. And he's like, so what happened? What happened here? And... Cole goes, makes a little flashback noise and everything gets blurry. And it's a couple hours ago. Now, Cole is mowing his lawn. This is a very quiet lawnmower. And then the lawnmower flipped over. Whoa! And now it's like laying on like the ground, but it's face up. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he falls into the lawnmower. Technically, his words to uh, Special Agent Neal and to other law enforcement was that when the lawnmower flipped over, the blades were spinning so fast it, quote, acted like a bomb, unquote. Now, the the reason why the FBI agent is here is because Cole Carini had been arrested before for building bombs. But he's like, no, 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 I was lawnmowering, I was mowing a lawn is the way you humans say it. The lawnmower flipped over like I'm running Goat Simulator or something and it hit an invisible wall and went woo, and then I fell into it. And it was spinning so quickly it mimicked the effects of an explosive blast. That is why I have shrapnel in my neck and I'm missing a hand and fingers off another hand. So law enforcement and Special Agent Neil go out to Cole's house. And I was reading like the uh, affidavit, the arrest warrant, whatever the term is, the legal document about this. And it's it's it's. I love reading these sometimes because you can tell the person writing it had a lot of fun writing it. There's basically a narrative thread to this investigation. First thing, they get out of the first thing, Special Agent Neil gets out of the car and he notices something. The grass is six inches long. Little leather soled shoes walking by as he's looking at it. Ladybugs scampering, hiding from law enforcement. They're up to no good, you know, those little ladybugs. Their houses are always on fire. They're a bunch of arsonists. 
notices that the lawn... First off, I would notice there's not a blood-soaked lawnmower. That would be the number one thing, right? But anyways, the lawn is not mowed. So he's like, hmm, suspicious. Very, very suspicious. At this point, he really knows what happened. He's just trying. He has to do his job. He notices there's blood leading up to the car door. And there's blood on the car door. Now, what I would assume, again... Basil, the great mouse detective, could figure this one out, was that this dude blew his hands off. I'm sorry, chopped his hands off on a lawnmower that acted, quote, like a bomb. And then he was trying to paw at his car door to get inside. And then I guess he probably realized, well, I only have two fingers across two hands. Even if I got inside, I'm not going to be able to drive. I'm assuming he called 911 or a neighbor took him to the hospital. But it doesn't sound like his neighbors were too fond of him. But anyway, so there's like blood on his car as he's like trying to get in. Then they follow the blood and they're like, hmm, looking around. They see it like dripping up the stairs, like drops up the stairs. He's basically, Special Agent Neil went from being like in an episode of 24 to now investigating an Edgar Allan Poe story. He's like, hmm, very suspicious. Where's the gorilla now? He's looking at blood and stuff. He's like going up the stairs. So he gets to Cole's bedroom and here we get this great quote. Talk about Edgar Allan Poe. This might be a little more H.P. Lovecraft, honestly. Quote, At the bedroom door on the floor was a flesh-colored substance. That, based on my experience, looked like a piece of human skin. (laughs) He didn't put the laugh in there, but he really should have. Because he could have just said, I walked up to dude's room, there's obviously human flesh hanging off of his doorknob. But flesh-colored substance... (laughs) based on my experience, looks like human flesh. I'm sure he's seen a lot of grisly things. I'm sure he's like, could smell it before he even got in there. He walks into the bedroom. There's bomb parts everywhere. Like the PVC pipe. The dude's not a plumber. This isn't circumstantial. PVC pipe, bunch of nails. You're like, hey, I have those. Your neighbors aren't complaining about explosions happening in your shed all day long. When the feds are actually investigating, like talking to neighbors, they're like, yeah, we kept hearing like popping in his shed out in the backyard because they went there as, and then they got a warrant for there and they found even more bomb making stuff. But we just thought he was shooting a gun in the shed. And I'm like, where, what neighborhoods does this guy live in that you can just, I mean, I listen, dude, I live in a pretty rural area up here. You have farm community. People are shooting off guns. You can go up in the woods shooting off guns. It's kind of rural community. I don't know where this dude lived, but first off, I would be very suspicious of anyone who was shooting in a shed. Because what target could you possibly not hit that's only like two yards away from you? But anyways, they're hearing this pop, pop, pop. They think, oh, that's just that's just harmless Cole who's been arrested several times for explosions. Must just be shooting a gun. That's far less suspicious. Shooting a gun indoors is far less suspicious than a someone who's been arrested for building bombs, and there's explosions coming from his house. Little, like, cartoon smoke clouds shooting out the windows. So, when they're in his room, though, they find a crumpled... They're back in his room now, narrative-wise. They find a crumpled-up letter, and it was like... He was walking through the mall. I, I, this is one of those things where I wish I had the whole letter, because we only have these fragments. I guess some of it's like covered in blood, which actually makes it kind of cooler. But anyways, the letter goes like this. This is what it said. Like, you can read quotes from it. I'm going to paraphrase it a bit, but he was walking through the mall. Nobody knew how dangerous he was when they, when they looked at his frail body. They didn't know the man, the monster that he really was inside. Yes. He was a three days grace song turned mortal and nobody could stop him now. 
Now they will pay. That's pretty much the gist of the letter. He makes some mentions to Elliot Rogers, and he says something that I'm sure sent chills down the FBI agent's spine. It probably sent chills throughout all of law enforcement. Definitely infuriated me. In this letter, he describes what his target is. In the letter, he's walking. He's talking about how awesome he is, and he's walking through the mall with a bomb in his jacket, and he's headed towards his target. His target is, quote, hot cheerleaders. Shame on you, Cole. Shame on you. Do you know there's only 5,300 universities and colleges within the United States, and we can average there's about 25 cheerleaders per college. That means at any given time, yes, I did the math, there is only 132,500 active cheerleaders, and you want to blow them up? How dare you? How dare you, sir? Neil reads that, throws the note on the ground. They're like, that's evidence. And Neil turns around, tears streaming from his face. He wanted to kill cheerleaders. There's just everyone in the house is silent. The cat stops meowing. That's inhuman, Cole. And Cole is now facing real federal charges for building a bomb, for having a bomb blow up. I think those are two different charges. And his hand's gone. Like, he's missing one hand. The other hand, he has a couple fingers. Honestly, like, he's definitely going to do some time. The evidence is his missing hands. He still won't admit to it. He still says, no, 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 your honor, the lawnmower flipped over. You know how lawnmower, you know how lawnmowers do? They just turn over and they act, quote, like a bomb. Anyway, so he'll probably do like, I don't know, I'm going to assume 10 years. But the fact that he's missing a hand and a bunch of fingers means his sentence is going to last a lot longer than that. Cole, I wish you the best. I hope that your head gets right and maybe you get some robot hands or something like that. In the end, he didn't hurt anyone but himself like i'm glad i wish that didn't even happen right i hope that he just was building a bomb and he looks in the mirror and goes well this is this is a stupid hobby and i'm not gonna hurt people and then just kind of pushes it aside and goes up and plays a nintendo switch moral of the story is don't attack cheerleaders don't build bombs and if you are going to try doing either of those two things make sure you don't do it within special agent neil shemecki's jurisdiction because he will come after you how do they put cuffs on him? <laughs> How do they put cuffs on this guy? He's like, aha, I've snuck out again. They're like, Cole. And then a little Looney Tune logo goes, dun, 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 dun. and then that's the end of that segment. I had no, no other way to end that. Maybe I'll come up with a hand pun later. Anyways, not going to worry about <laughs> Ashley's just sitting there tapping her fingers on the control panel of the carpenter copter. Can we leave now? There's a bunch of helicopters trying to drop off lifelike people. Can we just leave because <laughs> you're sitting there thinking of stupid hand puns? And I go, yes, we can leave. So, Ashley, let's fire up that carpenter copter again. We are headed out to Tennessee. Now, this was a story I completely stumbled across. I don't even know what I was looking up. I have no idea what I was looking up when I came across this. We're flying out to eastern Tennessee. Technically, it's eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina. Obviously, like, as the United States was formed... The, the government was drawing state lines. But we're going farther back before the United States even existed. We're going back to a time where we don't really even have a time period it's taking place. This is just during the time when the Native Americans ruled the country, and this particular portion of the country was ruled by the Cherokee Nation. Nowadays, it's the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. At the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, there's a Chilliwee Mountain. So, Ashley, let's bring the helicopter nice and low. <laughs> It's now old-timey America. We get out, we're walking around. Now, 
we are sitting, we're hiding in the bushes, because that's what we have to do, because apparently we're just a bunch of weirdos. We're sitting in the bushes. We see a, a tribe of Native Americans running around, and the little kids are like, Mama, Mama, Mama. Apparently they're Italian as well. Mama Mia, tell me about the story. Tell me about the story. And the mom's like, now you little young ones, I'll tell you the story one more time. And I'll tell it very loudly in case anyone in the bushes is listening. So the mom starts telling this story long, long time ago. Now we're even further back in time, right? And this is the story. I don't know why I had that narrative device, but, but here's the story. The Cherokee warriors started to hear whispers throughout their nation that there was a creature hunting them. Now, this was a group of hunters, of warriors, but now something out there was taking them out one by one. But it wasn't just that this thing was killing warriors. It was killing women. It was killing children. And you couldn't stop it. It was like a plague. That's the way they described it. It was like a plague. But they knew it was a person. They named it, I'm going to butcher this, but they named it Nun-Uni, which means stone dress, which would translate to skin of stone. Because the warriors who did interact with this thing realized something very quickly. You couldn't kill it. Any sort of arrow, club, spear, whatever you had, just shattered when it impacted this creature. But that wasn't its only trick up its sleeve. It would appear as an old woman. And of course... You need to value your elders in that culture. So you see an old woman walking through the middle of the forest. It's weird, right? You're two days outside of the village. But you see an old woman walking through. That'll make you hesitate. That will make you not try to take that kill shot right away. She would always walk with her right hand kind of hidden in a shawl. But sometimes when the warriors would interact with this thing, they'd see what was really there. It was a normal hand, a closed fist, and the forefinger was a blade as black and sharp as obsidian. She would lunge at you. <laughs> Hunter would run away. Go back to tell people, you gotta watch out, there's something in the woods. Her name wasn't just Stone Dress. She also went by another name, Utlanta, which meant spear finger. And, and really, both names combined show how powerful and feared this creature was. Old woman, impenetrable, can't be defeated, and had a weapon that's hidden and would just go right into you. Now, the reason why they described this as a plague was that, okay, you're like, there's an old woman walking around in the woods. Who cares? Don't go into the woods, and if you see an old woman, walk the other way. You might be walking away from an actual old woman who needs your help, but chances are not. Well, she was a shapeshifter. Not only was she a shapeshifter, she could assume the shape of somebody you love. They said she would appear as your grandmother or your favorite aunt. That's fine, Jason. I hate aunts. I, I only like uncles. And I'm not particularly fond of my grandmother anyways. If I saw her in the woods, I would just walk away. Those were her favorite forms. But she could be anybody. This was a master shapeshifter. To the point, to the point that the people, this went on for so long that the people of the Cherokee Nation in this area were so paranoid of running into Spearfinger that if you left the tribe by yourself for any amount of time and you came back, they thought you were her. Hey, I'm going to go pick some strawberries. Okay, hey, bring Billy with you. Yeah, sure, Billy, come. And Billy's sitting there playing Nintendo Switch. What? I didn't even know that was invented yet. Okay. Then you walk off, you get strawberries, you come back. Everyone in the tribe has their arms crossed. Billy's like, I told him not to go out. I was going to join him, I said. 
You know, I was just picking up strawberries. And they would think you were spear finger. Now, you would go, wouldn't you just hold your hands up and be like, I'm not her. Look, I don't have a spear finger. Her number one thing. Yeah, but still, being being under suspicion of a monster for even a couple minutes is rough. And I'm sure there are people who also said, well, maybe she hit her hand as well. That seemed to be a limit of her power. She couldn't actually shapeshift her hand. People were super paranoid of this thing. So you go, Jason, why was this thing so threatening? I mean, other than the fact that it's impossible to kill and it has a built-in weapon, what she would do is she would stick you with her finger, stick it into you, and then you wouldn't even know what happened. You would feel no pain whatsoever. But a couple days later, you'd die. You'd get yellow, I'm super gross, black. And what would happen was after they would die, the medicine man would diagnose. I'm sure at some point they were doing an autopsy of sorts, when people people are just falling over dead, the liver would be gone. And people were putting two and two together. Wait a second. This guy was out by himself hunting. A couple days later, his liver's gone. And there were sightings of Spearfinger with blood on her mouth. So the implication was that somehow she would be able to st- like stab you, pull your liver out without you feeling any pain whatsoever, eating it, and then you die a couple days later once, you're, once your body realizes you don't have a way of filtering out toxins. And to make things even worse, sometimes she would poke you out in the woods. You're far away from your tribe. She'll stab you, eat your liver. You die before you get home. She would then assume the shape of that warrior go into the village and feed to her heart's content. Now, that type of hunting technique was done mostly before people knew to look out for Spearfinger. Because again, they're like, hey, Johnny, how was the hunt? And he's like, oh, it's pretty good. And they're like, hey, you can put your spear back. And he's like, I already did. I'm like, what's that on your finger? Uh, uh, I was was eating some hot fudge. That's why it's black. Why is it sharp? Uh, uh, Stick. (laughs) Eating liver, running away. As time grew, they started to learn ways to defeat this. Or not defeat it, but at least avoid it. But in the beginning, it would come to a village. If it could get into your village, it would eat as many livers as it could. Now... The one thing we look at cryptids a lot, that I like to look at cryptids a lot, are their weaknesses. Because we always have these weird weaknesses for these things. Spearfinger had two weaknesses. One, the reason why it always kept its right hand closed, even though it had that spearfinger that not just would stab people, but could pull their liver out without them knowing. That's also where her heart was. It was the one part of her body that could be pierced by a blade. Is her hand, her wrist area. On the right hand. Anything else is just going to bounce off of her. So she always kind of guarded that. People just assumed she was doing it to hide her weapon, but it was actually her weak spot. Her second weakness was she had an equal. This is fascinating, too, because I haven't really come across this encrypted lore. She had an equal. Stone Man. Stone Man was his name. Not super original name for that guy. At least Stone Dress is kind of cool. Stone Man. Now, he was actually more powerful. He had a magic wand that he could use to control boulders, build bridges and stuff like that. But neither of them were strong enough to kill each other, and they both ate human livers. So they definitely had to watch out where they're... Like, they had particular hunting grounds. I'm sure over time, some of the deaths of Spearfinger were blamed on Stone Man. It doesn't matter when your liver's missing. You don't care who took it, but you have basically two ultra-powerful cryptids, almost demigods at this point fighting over control of who gets to eat the most livers. But he also was impenetrable to weapons. 
and they just kind of stayed away from each other. He had a magic wand to control rocks. I, I left this detail out. The fact she looks human, but she has skin as strong as stone. She can also pick up boulders. She can squeeze them together, morph them. At one point, she made this giant stone bridge to try to get to heaven, and the gods electrocuted it, and she ah, she flies off of it. She probably just was bored one Tuesday. I don't know what building a bridge to heaven has to do with hunting humans and eating their livers, but apparently that structure is still in the area. It's called, like, Stone Tree or something like that. But anyways, so it's not like she's just walking around eating livers. She has the ability to, like, throw boulders at you. She could pretty much wipe out any tribe anytime that she wanted to. Her main way of hunting was following to where population centers were. And every autumn in this area, the Cherokees would set brush fires all up and down, and it would make all the chestnuts fall off the trees, and then they would just eat roasted chestnuts, which I always thought was kind of a meme. Apparently, it's a way you can survive in the wild. And she would see these fires from far off, and she would just continue her walk. Her it-follows walk. Walk slowly, 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 as long as it takes. There's no other transportation, really, back then. And eventually, she's in the smoke. You're in the smoke. You're picking up chestnuts. And then three days later, you go home and your liver's missing. Like, you wouldn't even see her coming in that circumstance. Or she goes home, and she's you, and then you show up later and they think you're her. And she was just a master of deception. Now, eventually, a bunch of different tribes of the Cherokee Nation got together and they go, we have to take care of this thing. This thing is just decimating us. So they got this medicine man, and he goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. We know a little bit about her. One, we know she's a shapeshifter. Two, we know to stay away from her. She's impenetrable. The only thing we can do is hope to catch her and get lucky, which is a bad strat. <laughs> which is a bad strategy when the general's like, well, we're just going to put a bunch of troops in this area. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the other guys are all like fall off a cliff or something like that. I don't know. Maybe we'll get lucky. But anyways, that's her plan. So what they do is they build a big old pit, and they set a fire. And spear fingers off in the distance. Ah, yes! I see the smoke. And she starts walking towards the smoke. Now, it's pretty smoky, right? She can't really see where she's going. No one can really see where they're going. And some guy sees an old lady walking through the through the smoke. Now, he goes, oh, that's my grandma. I'm not going to attack her. Hey, guys, look out. Don't shoot. Yeah, there's a grandma walking by. And the medicine man goes... What the, no, that's really her. That's not a joke. That's actually in the legend. I'm not making, I'm not riffing on a joke. This guy, even though they know this is a shapeshifter who assumes the form of grandma, and they've set this trap to end this menace that has plagued their nation for a decade at this point, or if not longer. Hey, look at grandma. Hey, we're over here. Watch out. There's a big trap. Don't worry about it. Medicine man's like, shut up, you numbskull. That's, that's who we're hunting. And the guy's like, oh. So they start shooting arrows at her, and of course they're bouncing off of her, but in the smoke and all of the chaos, she falls into the pit. It's full of spikes. Ugh! Oh, wait a second. These don't hurt me. She's just pushing the spikes over. Now she's yelling at them. Now she would sing a song about how much she loved to eat livers. That's uh, That was like her hobby. That was the only reason she existed. Like, I like eating food, but I don't sing songs about, mm-mm-mm, gonna eat a hamburger. But she's taunting them, basically, at this point. Stone Man also had his own song about livers. It's just some weird... Wasn't a lot of music back then. No VH1. She's in this hole. She's shaking her fist. Not the one with the spear on it, because she's hiding that one. She's shaking her fist in the air, singing about how much she loves eating human livers. The uh, Cherokee are up there, and they're like, oh, this isn't going to end well, because she's immortal. She's in a pit. I mean, like, what are we going to do? We can't make concrete. And like, What's concrete? And he's like, I don't know. I don't even know why he said that. I don't know why. We, I don't know how we're going to keep her in there. Now, 
At that time, a little birdie meow, 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 comes flying down from heaven, sent by the divine beings. It's a little titmouse. And it lands on a warrior's spear and begins to say, which in Cherokee, that's not the actual translation, but it was making this noise that in Cherokee sounds like heart, heart, heart. I think it was like oon or something like that. Oon, oon, oon. That makes more sense. And, and the medicine man goes, the weakness must be the heart. So they're like, concentrate all fire on her chest. So they're like, Throwing spears down, shooting arrows, and your finger's like, ha ha ha, nothing will defeat me as she's hiding her hand. Now, they take it as the titmouse, which is a bird, not a mouse or a boob, was lying to them. So they get mad, and they one of the warriors takes the titmouse and cuts its tongue out, and it flies back to heaven. So that's the reason. If you ever wondered, if you're ever a bird watcher, and you wondered, why does a titmouse have such a small tongue? It's because it was cut off for lying. Which, when I read that part, I go, well, that's kind of messed up, because we know the weakness is the heart. They just don't know where the heart's at. So they're continuing to sit there, and they're like, oh, man, I probably should have just eaten that titmouse. I'm so hungry. How long are we going to have to sit out here for? Well, you can eat its tongue. I'm, that was okay, but I'm still kind of hungry. Start singing a song about titmouse tongue. Another bird comes flying down from heaven. And this one flies into the hole and lands on Spearfinger's right hand. So the medicine man goes, oh, so sorry, Titmouse. I think we only got half the message. Hey, guys, come here. And they huddle together and they go, I bet you that that bird on that right hand. At this point, I imagine Spearfinger's trying to shake it off and it's like perched on her finger. Like, get off, get off, get off. I bet you the heart that the Titmouse is warning us about is in the hand. So concentrate all fire on the right wrist. And Warriors go, oh, that's a good idea, that's a good idea. I was getting real hungry for some more delicious titmouse. So they get their arrows ready, and they just launch a volley in, and it actually goes into her wrist and severs her heart from her body. She falls dead, almost immediately. Just, Bleh. no more livers for Spearfinger. And the warriors are like, yes, dude, totally awesome. Jumping up, they invented the high five at that moment. They invented the freeze frame, the jump up high five freeze frame. Later on, they're at the village, and they're, like, having this huge party. Someone's patenting the high five. He's like, I'm going to make millions. They're having this huge party. Now, they took Spearfinger's hand, they chopped it off, and they mounted it outside of the village as a trophy and as a warning. Because they all know Stone Man is still out there. But for now, they've defeated an otherwise impossible foe. And Stone Man... Walks by that village, and he sees that hand perched up. It's like making the number one sign. We're number one tribe in Tennessee and North Carolina. That's what's written on it. And Stone Man just looks at that hand, and it's dark, and the fire's crackling in the distance. All the people are having this huge party. This hand is just perched. And Stone Man looks at that hand, and he smiles. Because, see... They figured out her weakness. No one could figure out Stone Man's weakness. Stone Man now had no adversaries in the area. He could eat as many livers as he wants. Or so he thinks. And as Stone Man walks away into the darkness, humming a jaunty tune about eating human livers, will he be defeated? Or will his reign of terror last till today? We'll continue the story on tomorrow's Dead Rabbit Radio. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail. You like the little cliffhanger? You like that? Deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.